back to the Fourth Way Podcast. Today we are going to be talking about another counter-rebuttal here, and honestly, probably the most common. The hardest thing for most people to um, kind of get through in regard to this topic, and, and considering that government is not a good thing, is because they just can't imagine a world without a government. In their minds, the government provides the structure and security for their lives. And, I mean, I get that. I, I think of all the ways that government touches my life in regard to regulation, licensure, law enforcement, and military. And it, it touches just about everything. So again, I, I really do get the mental issue that people have with government, uh, or talking about the, the dissolution of government. But there, there's a huge assumption that goes into this, which is that if government went away, so would all the good that they do, right? We assume that those goods wouldn't, by and large, be produced in some other way. Or maybe that the goods that we would lose wouldn't be outweighed by the evils we'd also lose along with government. I already addressed this a little bit in uh, in one of the episodes where we talk about the the just pure evil impact that government has had on the world simply in regard to um, the number of people that they've killed, right? So we've we've already kind of hit on this a little bit, and I'm not going to get back into that. Again, this is a a cumulative sort of case, so you're gonna we're gonna touch on a lot of these types of things throughout the whole season, which I recommend you you listen to and kind of compile the evidence. But here we're gonna kind of take a different avenue and focus slightly differently. While I can't show you a world where government is completely gone, I do want to try to help you see through individual examples glimpses of what the world might be were government to disappear. Today I'm just going to really give you one example, but I do want to recommend that you explore some other uh, other podcasts and things. So Anarcho-Christian has an episode on um, anarchy in Pennsylvania, and he's really just um, reading from a, um, or not reading, but expounding on Murray Rothbard and a book that he wrote where he gives an example of, of how um, there was essentially a, a mini anarchist society in Pennsylvania that essentially just threw off the rule of law and um, lived really peaceably with the Native Americans and everybody else because they're not trying to control everybody, right? So there, there are some real-world examples on a larger scale. Um, today, we're, I'm going to focus a little bit more on the smaller scale. So again, this is a cumulative case sort of thing, and this podcast kind of zooms in and gives you tidbits from which you would, you would then work out and, and um, dig deeper through other resources. So let's go ahead and, and dig into our specific episode today. So perhaps one of the most governmental institutions that we could think of in the United States is the Postal Service. I mean, heck, the Postal Service is written into our very own constitution, which most people probably don't really know, but it is. It's in the first article, and um, it is a power that the federal government sought to control from the very beginning. However, a man named Lysander Spooner wasn't too happy about the ridiculous rates that the government, uh, government postal service was charging back in his day. So, given the infrastructure and resources available to him at the time, a mere man, not some guy with government connections, Spooner ended up cutting the prices of postage dramatically through competition. 
And that is, of course, until Congress passed legislation which kicked Spooner out of the market. Of course, today we have UPS and FedEx, which I would consider types of postal services. Nevertheless, the private express statutes ensure today that no business can undercut the U.S. Postal Service. And I will link those statutes um, in, in the show notes, but yeah, they really exist. You can go find them on the, on the USPS uh, website. And businesses can't undercut the Postal Service, right? They, they can't really create competition to a certain extent. So check those statutes out and uh, go read the first article of the Constitution. I think it's Section 8. And um, yeah, anyway. So what? A, a guy wanted to create a post office but couldn't. Who cares, right? I mean, I get that sentiment, but you have to understand all that's represented in this example, especially in the context of our discussion on government. So using this story as the backbone of the episode, I want to highlight six things which stand out here. And then we'll tie that kind of into the effectiveness and, and loving of neighbor, which is what our episode is really trying to get at. If the government dissolves, don't we lose our love for our neighbor because we lose the effectiveness in our ability to be able to love our neighbor? Because isn't it the government that enables us to love our neighbors the best? All right, let's dive in. First, I want you to notice how the government actually prevented Spooner from pursuing a livelihood. Now, I'm not at all saying that Spooner himself couldn't have found other work and that he didn't have other work. I think he did. I don't, uh, I'm not familiar with the biography of Spooner, but from, from what I do know, I think Spooner just started his post office on principle and it, it really wasn't a huge business venture for him. However, we can see from Spooner's story that the government, for whatever reason, whether that's self-interest, economic interest of the government, power interest, or anything else, the government was willing to act to force people out of jobs. Out of pursuing something that they thought they could provide for people. Whether that's out of self-interest for for them to try to make money, um, nevertheless, it would have been something that would have helped the community to provide a service to a community, first of all, and second of all, to provide that service with competition. Now, it'd be easy to dismiss this example of Spooner as just kind of a one-off example. Just one example of the government getting its hands into the businesses of other people and either preventing that business or regulating it um, you know, for, for self-interest for whatever reason, or um, you know, just even, even cutting it altogether. And I'd argue that today we don't really just see this in the post office. Maybe we don't see it uh, in as many places to the same extent of like they just absolutely quell competition, though through subsidies and other sorts of things, I mean, they, they definitely regulate competition uh, where they want it and, and uh, harm businesses where they don't, right? But here's just a, a really simple example. Think of all the different occupations that one needs licensure in. There are probably a lot that you don't even realize. But why does anyone need a license, especially with the extreme amount of hours required to obtain said license for something like a hairdresser? Now, I'm not saying that I could be a hairdresser. I'm not saying that I don't want my stylist trained. But why wouldn't that training be up to the employer? The worst thing a bad hairdresser will do is give you a bad haircut. And through supply and demand, you don't ever have to go to that person again. 
In fact, chances are you will have heard who is a good hairdresser and who is a bad one. Why then is the state involved in licensure for being a hairdresser and for so many other things that it has its hands in? What is particularly sad about this to me is that when in the States, I live near a big college town where they have a cosmetology school, and the vast majority of those who have done my hair, all ladies, though I I have seen one or two guys go through there, they've had sad stories. Some of them were young single moms who had boyfriends leave. Some of them were kicked out of the house of their parents. Some of them didn't have enough money to go to a four-year college. Like Whatever the story is, a lot of them kind of have a, a particular type of background, at least at, uh, anecdotally from the place that, that I've gone to. And I understand that they're very well-off well hairdressers, but a large amount of them end up in low-paying service positions because they don't have the ability or the financing or the desire to do something else. They might just love what they do, or they might be in a position where they kind of have to pursue that. And the government even regulates this business, charging them money and forcing them into tons of schooling hours when they could have been making money all along during that time and instead have to spend 2,000 hours, largely unpaid, to get a license. Now, how is that loving or effective? Of course, there are many other jobs which may require licensure depending on the state. There are licenses in some states for jobs like florists, shampooers, travel agents, interior designers, auctioneers, and the list goes on. The government, through licensure, forces people to spend inordinate amounts of time and money in order to obtain licenses uh, so that the state says that they can make a living. And that, of course, is just a small example of what the government has its hands in. Again, this isn't even considering all the, the, um, the individuals, the businesses that the government subsidizes, which ends up giving them cheaper, air, uh, cheaper you know, products and things. One example that my friend gave me was, um, I think it was after 9-11, uh, he said that Delta Airlines was, uh, wasn't doing so well and, and a lot of airlines weren't doing so well. And so the government set up like a four-year subsidy or what, whatnot so that, um, you know, that the airlines wouldn't go out of business. Well, when the four years were up or however many years uh, it took, it came up for a vote. And because Delta in Atlanta is so big and so important and, and provides so many jobs, they were like, mm, you know that temporary subsidy that you were going to give? Uh, it better be permanent or we're going to move our hub. And so what happened? Well, the government was able to actually extend that subsidy and make it essentially permanent. But rather than now being for all airlines, it ended up being only for Delta. Delta became subsidized and then ran other airlines out of business, essentially, because they were subsidized and could provide a a cheaper uh, product and other companies couldn't. And so, yeah, the government ends up, whether purposefully or... um, you know, legitimately, illegitimately, however you want to view it, they end up running a lot of people out of business or making life harder for for a hairdresser who is um, spending 2,000 largely unpaid hours going to school to cut hair. All right, my next points are going to be, I'm going to lump them together, right? For the second point, we've got competition actually drives down prices. And third, competition actually drives quality up. And these two go hand in hand. 
I do want you to understand that while I am no fan of the greed and self-interest that all forms of capitalism, which which we have fostered and encouraged, uh, seem to have, and I, I don't like how capitalism ends up leading to an aristocracy of sorts who ends up controlling government, we call that a plutocracy, I'm not all arguing for an economic system in this podcast. Instead, what I'm trying to do here is to simply show how government involvement tends to undermine effectiveness and love, and how individual freedom can actually enhance effectiveness and love. We see with Spooner that it didn't take long at all for him to drive the price of postage down significantly. And that makes common sense, right? And he also likely, I don't know, but likely would have had an impact on speed. If the government post office is delivering it in one quarter of the time as Spooner, um, and then Spooner is able to actually decrease that, right? Part of the price is going to be not only for, um, uh, right, the, the carrying it to one place from another, but also how quickly can you get it there? And so competition is going to improve quality, change quality and price. So the government's monopolization of something, or even the government's subsidization, uh, subsidization of things, and the government's regulation of things influences price. What might the price be like of something like the Postal Service were there to be competition? What might the quality be like? Now, some of you might say, well, yeah, but there are some things that would actually be more expensive if the government didn't subsidize. So, for instance, um, we might, uh, in, in terms of the United States, I know that corn has been subsidized significantly. So, well, we'd be paying more for some of our products. Yeah, we probably would. But then we'd also be paying more for things that are worse for us. So in terms of things like uh, products with cornstarch, corn, or I'm sorry, corn syrup, these, these foods that end up being cheaper for people to get um, would actually end up being more expensive and we'd have, um, we'd have a, a different system here. So a lot of... Um, poorer people and and i mean my family which we're not we don't fall below the poverty threshold line or threshold but yeah you go to the store and it's really tempting not to buy the the healthy stuff why because the healthy stuff is more expensive than these products that are in part so cheap because they're subsidized or have components of them which are subsidized and so you have these deflated prices that aren't really representative of what goes into it and then that pushes the market to create products with a certain type of component that's cheaper to make, and that in turn impacts our health. So um, deflated prices aren't necessarily a good thing. Uh, and, and again, we're not going to get into a ton of depth here, but that's just something important to note, that if you can say, hey, look, if the government weren't involved, a price would be higher than it is now, then you have to ask, well, what impact does having such a low price have on our health, on nature, on whatever it is? Because there's probably some negative impact due to artificial intervention by the government. So to recap really quickly before we get into the next point, government intervention into different products and uh, occupations ends up pushing people out or harming them in terms of economics. Um, also, government participation tends to drive down competition um, and tend, also tends to drive the quality down, whereas individual um, 
individualism would tend to drive competition up as well as quality, and it wouldn't deflate prices, which tends to hurt uh, hurt us in some way a lot of times because it forces a certain type of product or action um, that isn't balanced, and it can tend to inflate other prices and cost us more. Okay, number four. Competition also tends to result in the increase of safety. Now, while I can maybe lump this in with the concept of quality, because safety and quality might kind of go together, I'm going to separate it here because I think that it's, it's different enough. I think that the auto industry perhaps shows us this concept the best. If you're in your 30s or above or maybe a little bit younger, you'll remember a day when rear cameras on a vehicle didn't exist. But today, it's getting harder to find vehicles without this feature. And while the feature was optional for automakers at first, it caught on and has become so prolific that people expect their cars to come with them. Sure, there's comfort, uh, a comfort aspect to this, but there's also a significant safety aspect. And as of 2018, the government made rear cameras, in the United States at least, mandatory in all new cars. But it's really important to note that they were simply recognizing a good thing that had already caught on, which is what we talk about all the time in regard to legislation. A safety feature caught on, people loved it, they recognized how good it was, and eventually it became mandatory due to the free market. The government ends up taking the credit for the safety of cameras on vehicles with their legislation in 2018, but they aren't the ones who solidified the trend toward safety. That was the free market. They just recognized a good thing and swooped in and now tout themselves as saviors. Like, look, we're putting cameras on vehicles. No, the, the free market was doing that and people were starting to demand it. And you just kind of latched onto it and made yourselves look good. What would we do without government putting cameras on our cars? We would have had cameras on our cars anyway. Number five, if we want to talk about love and effectiveness... Let's recap a little bit about what legislation actually is because it's important to understand what it is that governments do. So legislation is sword, and behind every law is violence. Now I told you the story of how I got a warrant for my arrest from a moving violation. And I told you about how not having the right plastic cup in a town near where I live can get you arrested. And we all know the story of Eric Garner, whose death was a result of police confrontation over him selling cigarettes. Now in this episode, I'm going to add another story to the list. A few months ago, I saw a video of some kids riding their bikes in a large group, and they ended up getting stopped by the police. Now, it isn't the innocence of these kids that stuck out to me because, honestly, they were riding on the road and it was inconvenient for cars, so I kind of... Um, you know, why you'd want laws to, to prevent kids from doing all that, okay? Even, even if I might disagree with those laws, I, I get it. They were kind of being dangerous. But then I guess the police should have started coming out my way when I lived in Pennsylvania to the rural mountains where groups of bicyclists would train for triathlons and stuff all the time. That sure was inconvenient and dangerous too, especially around those curvy mountain roads. But then again, they were white and upper class, not minority city-dwelling kids. Nevertheless, even if you think the kids were in the wrong, what stood out to me in the video was that the police brought up the fact that these kids, since crossing a city line, were required to have licenses for their bikes. What? Licenses for bikes? 
Apparently, this is a thing in some cities and something being proposed more and more. And it just blows my mind. Now, none of the kids were harmed in the video I saw. But can you imagine how easy it would have been for that to occur? The cop stops a group of kids who could be a gang. The cop is outnumbered. He confronts them on a stupid bike license law that shouldn't even exist, and because of the war on drugs, is looking to amp up the situation and the charges. Confrontation escalates and tension rises. One of the kids reaches into his pocket to grab a cell phone, and then he's shot. Why? For a lot of reasons, but a stupid, overreaching, controlling law that limits individual freedom is definitely at the core of that stupid reason. Every law has the sword behind it, and you're just not going to convince me that plastic cups, improper lane changes, bike licenses, and selling something that's legal merchandise for other people to sell is worth killing over, or setting into motion the chain of events where someone ends up getting killed. And that brings us to our sixth and final point. Government constrains freedom. Now in telling you what you can do, what you need a license for, and whether or not you can cut the tags off your mattresses, the government's role is to restrict your freedom and to maximize their control. Governments monopolize violence and protect their own economic and power interests. Laws are not ultimately for our good, because as we saw with public sentiment preceding legislation, governments tend to pass legislation only when it's in their own economic and power interest. Laws that seemingly are for our good, like rear camera laws, are products of a free market hijacked by government pseudo-saviors. Laws that would be for our good, like limiting congressional term limits or preventing corporate loopholes in taxation and legislation, they aren't passed because politicians need the power they get from not legislating those things. In the end, then, the government maximizes their power while constraining our voices and our freedoms where they can, particularly where those things threaten government's interest in money and power. If you want just another great example of that, uh, I was listening to a, a book the other week uh, called Scars of Independence. And in that book, you know, he's talking about the Revolutionary War and, and a bunch of stuff that kind of went down in it between both sides and um, kind of some of the evils and the goods and all that. And one of the things that he was talking about was right around World War I, there was uh, this, this Hollywood film producer who ended up creating a film about 17... 17- 76, right, about the the Revolutionary War. And in it, my understanding was there was a four-second clip where they just, like, kind of implied some of the things that the British soldiers were doing, like um, assaulting women and, uh, like, sticking bayonets into people, and right? Uh, Think Mel Gibson, uh, the Patriot, like, seeing the British soldiers burn down a barn with a bunch of citizens in it. Like, that was a terrible thing. But the spirit of 76, like, it... It was just a short clip of just some implied things, like four seconds worth. And in a a Supreme Court case, the United States versus the spirit of 76, this movie, uh, the the producer, the the guy who created it, whatever, he ended up going to uh, to jail for 10 years for like treasonous activity. Why? Well, because um, especially if you read... um, War is a Racket by Major General or General Smedley Butler, like the most decorated person in, in U.S. war history, who was, was a part of World War I, and he looks back at it and he says, look, war's a racket. They did this because they're making tons and tons of money. 
So in the spirit of 76, this guy goes to jail for treason for having this four-second clip implying some bad things that the British actually, we know the British actually did, but they were our allies and this was wartime and we were fighting against Germany. And so uh, he goes to jail for 10 years because it threatens the war effort. And why do we have this war effort? Well, not because of not because of any real good reason, right? We can we can say in all of our wars, like, well, there was a Lusitania or this or that. Um, but read, read General uh, uh, Smedley Butler, right? The reason we went to war is because it was very lucrative for us. And the spirit of 76 threatened the success of the war and therefore threatened all of our loans to all of our allies. And that's treasonous. It wasn't treasonous because he tried to sabotage the army. It's treasonous because he spoke, uh, the individual spoke truth, and that threatened economic power and political power. Of course, Abraham Lincoln did something similar with, uh, you know, he suspended habeas corpus, and he, uh, I think there were some free speech things that, that he had during his time in office during the Civil War. So yeah, we do, we do this all the time. Government just seeks to maximize power and profit. So let's wrap this up. This episode was mainly focused on showing you that love and effectiveness tend to be antithetical to government. Government bears the sword, and it finds its people overbearing, quite often. We think that the world without government would be chaos, but I have to wonder if it's our knowledge or our imaginations that are lacking here, because I see mostly chaos now when I look at governments. But that has only come since taking a real look at what the history of government, especially my American government, has actually entailed, not just the propaganda I've been fed. Governments are Babylon, and Babylon is a whore. She has no interest in love. In saying all that, I recognize that I haven't built here for you a positive case of what I think an alternative would look like without government. And I know that this is a responsibility I need to undertake a little bit. I can't expect you to fully buy in here if I don't give you an alternative vision. I've shown you how governments aren't effective and aren't love, but now I need to show you what is. And I plan on doing that, but you're just going to have to wait a few more episodes. Just know that Independence Day is coming. That's all for now. So peace, and because I'm a pacifist, when I say it, I mean it. podcast is a part of the Kingdom Outpost Network. Please check out the links below to find other great podcasts and content related to nonviolence and kingdom living.